Okay, now is the time for the leader to qualify on the other 12%, apparently. Uh, I think it's thoroughly turned on. Are we all good or do we need to do something? Okay, my name is Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater, 100-pounder. And to prove it, I have pictures. Uh, So I've got some stuff in this plastic sleeve and this lovely picture, which uh, was probably my highest weight. I'm wearing a black vest because it's slimming. <laughs> we'll see if that's true. Uh, so briefly to qualify, uh, I had a, a brief stint in program in the 80s. Uh, I met several of the people in this room at that time. They tried to help me. I wasn't really interested. I was doing the, uh, two, the two-step uh, waltz, uh, 1 and 12, and I was dieting with group support, lost a lot of weight, had a lot of fun, and didn't see the need for you guys anymore because I became normal. And I left. And as we all know, the graduation song of this program is Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? Uh, and uh, another diet down the drain. I heard, uh, you know, I, I listened to uh, Harlan do his big book workshop uh, on tape. And, and uh, Harlan likes to say diets don't work. And I hate to disagree with someone like Harlan, but diets worked for me. They worked for the time that they worked. Um, but it, every time I was on a diet, it felt like there was a spring in my stomach that would get tighter and tighter and tighter with each passing day. And at some point, the spring just exploded and off I, w- off I went back to my old habits and uh, gained the weight, as we like to say, with interest. Um, and I never didn't gain more weight than I lost. But I, you know, uh, I mean, I... I, I uh, I have about 20,000 pictures in my uh, computer, and some of them go back 20, 25 years. And I look, and, and there are times when I'm thinner, never thin, but thinner, and times when I'm bigger. But it always came back. And so the reason that I'm in this room today is because I lost. I lost the war. Just plain and simple. I fought food for the better part of four and a half decades, and I lost. Uh, and I had to surrender. So, uh, and to me, that's step zero. You can't really walk in here unless, you know, you lost. You know, the de- de- we say that we admitted we were powerless over food. And I looked up the word admitted in the dictionary, and it means to come to the truth with reluctance. Uh, I do not know anyone who skipped their way into these rooms. Uh, I, I lost. I was defeated. I was humbled. I was a heart attack waiting to happen. I was... Uh, spiritually, morally, and physically bankrupt. I won't go through my whole foodalog because you've all heard foodalogs. Uh, I was a fat kid. There's no hell like being a fat kid. I was a fat adolescent, couldn't get a date. I was a fat high school student, college student, young adult. I lost some weight, got a job, and then got fat again. So, uh, and, and it was hell. Uh, you know, I'll just leave it at that. It was hell. Uh, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s where it was uh, politically correct to make fun of fat people. Still is, but a little bit less. Uh, anyway, I lost, uh, and I came in here. Uh, I was 12-step by a lovely human being uh, who uh, put my best interests in front of his uh, and 12-step. I was about to get the gastric bypass. Uh, then I looked at the amount of food I was going to have to eat, and I said, I'm going to go nuts if that's all the food I get to eat. Uh, that uh, feeling was uh, concurred with by this gentleman and... Uh, uh, he said, give the program a try. You know what it's about. Give it a shot. So I walked into Serenity Sunday, uh, waving the white flag. So that was my step zero. And then I learned in Serenity Sunday that uh, I had to admit that I was powerless and uh, that uh, if I listened to what they read, 
I would have heard the 12th step, which said that having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So no promises. I'm not going to get thin. I'm not going to get smart. I'm not going to get you know, happy. I'm going to get a spiritual awakening. And I think to myself, well, why do I need a spiritual awakening? I have gotten by in life being sort of an atheist, agnostic-ish kind of guy. Um, you know, I didn't... Uh, yeah, I, I met a lot of smart atheists in my life, including a, a, a comic who has a Friday night show on cable who is an avowed atheist. Uh, and these are smart people who seem to be doing just fine. Why do I need God if they don't? But then I'm, you know, kind of a chicken shit. And I didn't want to say there was no God just in case there was. I didn't want to go up to the pearly gates one day and have God say, what the hell were you thinking? You know, that, that is not even a possibility. But, you know, I'm a game show producer by trade. And uh, in the world of game shows, uh, you know, we, uh, we want to double source everything. If you told me it was sunny outside, I'd go to the window and take a look, and then I'd go on weather.com just to make sure. Okay, that's, that's my, you know, that's how my mind works. Uh, and so, how do you prove that there's a God? Well, I learned, taking out my trusty dictionary, that the word faith means belief absent rigorous proof. So there's no, there's no way I can prove there's a God. There's also no way I, anyone can prove there's not a God. So why do I have to take the negative? Why do I have to say, if you can't prove it, it's not there? Why do I say, if you can't disprove it, it's there? So, but why do I need a God? That's back to that question. Why do I need a God? Well, if I picked up the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I try to do on a daily basis... And I read the preface, which I rarely did, because I was, you know, I was all about speed. Speed. I, I wanted to do things fast. So I would skip the preface. But if I read the doctor's opinion, I would see that I have a disease. And that disease, the model of that disease, is an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. So what's my allergy? Let's talk about the allergy for a minute. Allergy, back to the dictionary, means that uh, I have an unusual reaction towards a substance. It doesn't mean I break out in hives or I need an EpiPen, you know, when I eat chocolate. It means that I have an unusual reaction. My unusual reaction is that I can't stop eating once I've started. I can't stop. Certain substances I just cannot stop. I have proven that. That I have proven. I have rigorous proof that that is, in fact, true. Uh, and so, uh, and then I also have an obsession of the mind. And that obsession of the mind says, eat, 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 it'll help you, it'll help you, it'll help you, it's better, it's better, oh, it'll comfort you, you eat, eat, eat. And it's usually not that soft. It's usually screaming, eat, 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 you want to eat, come on, you want that, you want that, that looks good, you want that, that'll make you feel better. And when all you hear is that voice, it blots out everything else, it blots out my intellect telling me, it's not really a very good idea to walk around life being 300 plus pounds. Back, oh, by the way, to qualify, top weight of 335 or so. Really, 335 and a half, but at that point, why does a half a pound? Uh, and uh, uh, I've been abstinent uh, for, uh, I can tell you the exact number of days, but it's about five and a half years, and I'm down 110 pounds. So I weigh about uh, 225 today, which uh, some people would say is too much, including me. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about how I eat and all of that stuff in a couple minutes, and you'll see that uh, I don't eat worth 225 pounds worth, yet here I am. So what are you going to do? Uh, at any rate, I have this obsession and I have this allergy. 
and they talk to each other. And I liken it to, if you've ever pulled into a parking lot where there's a gate that opens and closes, there's a little electric eye, like a little laser that goes across, hits a mirror and goes back. And that was my disease. I, w- I couldn't stop once I started and I couldn't stop from starting. So I'm screwed. So how do I do that? Especially if I don't really believe in God or haven't yet come to believe because that's step two and three after all. Uh, and what I, what I like is that God, my higher power, is, is like when you break that cycle and the gate pulls open. So the gate's closing, your car's pulling out. Oh no, it's going to hit my car. No, wait, I break the electric eye and it safely pulls open. That's what God does for me in, in terms of the obsession and the allergy. It stops me from having to listen to the voices. So it stops me from having to start. So I don't have to not be able to stop. And for me, the only way to stop is total abstinence. And again, we'll get, we'll get there in a, in a, in a minute. Um, how do I come to believe? Right? So now I, I have to admit that I'm powerless. I have to come to believe that there's a power greater than me. Well, this is a true story. No one believes it. But I went to the ocean. We're only, what, 10, 15 minutes from the ocean, right? Went to the ocean to contemplate all this stuff you've been telling me. And the waves are crashing and they're getting closer because the tide is coming in. And I told the waves to stop. I really did. I said, stop. I don't, don't come closer. It didn't listen. It got darker when I wanted it to stay light. The waves kept crashing. And the grass keeps growing, which means I have to pay a gardener. And the, uh, and the leaves keep falling, no matter what I try to do about it. Let alone what you think of me or what other people think of me or that there's war here. Or that. All of that's completely out of my control. So there's got to be a power greater than me because otherwise I could stop the ocean. And if any of you can stop the ocean, come see me afterwards. We'll take a ride down there. And if you can really stop the ocean, I'll start praying to you. Because that would be God. I can't do it and I don't believe. My experience has shown me that nobody else I know can. So there's a, a power greater than me. Do I have to personify it? Do we need it to be Jesus, Buddha, Allah, Adonai? No, I don't need to do that. Uh, you might. And, that, and if you do, that's great. And whatever you believe in is great. Because I don't tell people what they should believe. And I don't want people to tell me what I should believe. I know there's something greater than me out there. And I was able to tap into that energy and say, please, God, let me stop. And the way that I know this works is not theoretical. When I came into program, I was working in an office. There were five offices. Uh, there were five uh, candy bowls and four people working there. And somehow, every day, they were empty. And it wasn't really somehow. It was me. And I would walk in every day resolving not to eat that candy. I will not eat the candy today. Sometimes I got to 9.15, sometimes I got to 10.30, occasionally lunchtime, once in a while, 3 o'clock. But every day I would eat the candy. And once I started, of course, I couldn't stop. So I went to Serenity Sunday, Monday I went to work. I said, God, please, whatever you are, whatever it is, help me not eat the candy. And I haven't had candy since that day. That's five and a half years. I have not had candy, cookies, ice cream. Frozen yogurt, corn muffins, I mean, whatever, you know, I mean, a, a variety of things. And again, we'll get into that in a minute. So, I've come to believe, I stopped eating, right? So I came, I stopped eating, I came too. Right? Now I have to come to believe that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. Because I was definitely insane. And the way that I do that is working steps four through nine. Right? I have to clear away the wreckage of my past. Got to get rid of the resentments. It doesn't matter what, what people have done to me. It matters what I've done to people. And as any addict, first of all, the first, def- the, first, uh, uh, the first casualty of addiction is the truth. First I lie to myself, 
And then I lie to everybody else. And then if my station in life isn't good enough, I've got to you know, give out the certain, you know, be a certain person. So I need to get these things. So how do I do it? I, I get credit and don't pay it back. I steal, I cheat, I connive, I maneuver, I work 17 jobs halfway each. All of these are not very good things. And I needed to go look and see what I had done and what I didn't want to do again. And so I worked four and five, six and seven, you know, you know, six and seven, you know, are the muddiest steps for me because there were defects that I had that I liked. You know, I did. And, uh, uh, and I have to be willing. I have to be willing to let God take them. And, you know, I, I was taught that if you really want to get rid of a defect, then you work the 12-step program around the defects. I'm powerless over lying and my life has become unmanageable. I'm powerless over cheating. I'm powerless over whatever the defect is, gossiping, whatever it might be. And I found for me that it worked. Um, and, and, and then, you know, eight and nine, eight, uh, you know, made the list. That's easy. Nine, talk to people, not so easy. Uh, but not so hard. Uh, and I did that, and I had a lot of people to talk to. And a lot of people who I had sort of messy dealings, some of whom did worse to me than I did to them, but I still did to them. And I had to go to them and say, this is what I did to you. And sometimes they apologized for what they did to me. And sometimes they said, yeah, you really were a prick. And it didn't matter, because I, it, I was looking at my side of the street, not their side of the street. Uh, why do I do all this work? Because... In my view, I don't want to activate my disease. My disease is sitting there waiting for an excuse to pop up and take back over. Now, I, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, they have these, these, dear, you know, these letters to themselves from their disease, how they want to kill them and all that stuff. And I don't personify my disease much like I don't personify my higher power. But my disease is waiting for me to screw up and, 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 and take me back over. It absolutely is. So I have to do everything I can not to activate my disease. And one, the way I do that is to do work on a daily basis. I have to do things on a daily basis. I have to get out of my head and get into service because that's how I can stop hearing those voices is to care about somebody else. So, what does it all mean? It means that God does for me quickly what food did for me... Uh, God, God does for me slowly, rather, what food did for me quickly. And as an object lesson... I thought about it, I was thinking about it last night, and uh, it, take, it took me, it takes me more time to say the third step prayer than it does to eat a donut. <laughs> it really does. It takes more physical time to say a prayer than it does to eat. Because I would eat a donut and say, where's the next one, where's the next one, where's the next one. I mean, I, I, I think I went to Evelyn Wood's speed eating class. I mean, I, and by the way, I was low bottom. I was not going to Michelle Richard's and getting, you know, fancy cake. It's like 7-Eleven. If it's got plastic around it, it's mine. You know, that, that's where I, I came from. And, uh, and so I need to be able to do it slowly. So I need that space. I need that space between thought and action. And, and prayer, and, and that's what the tools of the program are about. Putting that space between your thought and your action. Telephone calls, uh, meetings, reading, writing, prayer. All of that is what puts that space in and allows me not to listen to those voices. And I still hear those voices occasionally, but I will say that I've been blessed for the most part with that position of neutrality. I can bake cupcakes with my daughter and get frosting on my hands and go to the sink and wash it off and not once think about it. 
I can buy donuts. I did a show a couple of years ago involving law enforcement, so needless to say, there were donuts involved. And, uh, and I would go to this great donut place in St. Louis, and I'd buy 10 dozen boxes of donuts, 10 dozen donuts. And I'd put them in my car, never once thinking about eating them. So I've been blessed with that uh, position of neutrality. But what I found in my journey is that abstinence for me wasn't enough because abstinence is the act of abstaining, of not doing. It's a passive act. I won't eat certain things. And on my list of things that I won't eat are long and uh, lovely, uh, including uh, processed sugar, cake, cookies, ice cream, frozen yogurt, frothy coffee drinks. This isn't frothy, it's flat. Sugar-free varieties of the above, pumpkin bread, cornbread, bagels, french fries, honey, and other natural sugars. Agave, my favorite. Uh, pretzels, rice, potatoes, pasta, fried foods, corn nuts. I had to put that on recently. Uh, and, and anything else that might call to me. And that's great. I mean, that's a, a fairly long list of things that I haven't eaten in years. But I was still allowing my mood to shape the scope and size of my meals. The way I put it is I was going for cheesy, meaty, not leafy, greeny. You know, so I'm in a bad mood, I go for something dense and cheesy. I'm in a good mood, because I'll eat no matter what, right? Good mood, bad mood, happy, sad, you know, tense, not so tense, celebratory, you know, consoling. I mean, I'm a Jew. What do you do when someone dies? You eat. I don't understand it, but that's what you do. You go to someone's house and there's more food than you can possibly know what to do with. And so, I was allowing the, you know, my, that my moods to, to, to uh, shape the size and scope of my meals. And I actually began to gain weight. Now, I'm not skinny, so gaining weight's not a good thing. And, you know, I talked to my sponsor about it, and I talked to other people about it, and I just couldn't figure, I couldn't, you know, I, I was feeling powerless again. I couldn't gr- gr- uh, grasp it. And I heard a gentleman speak at Serenity Sunday, and he talked about eating soberly. He says, it's not enough to be absent, you have to eat soberly. Because I would suggest that, you know, people say that alcoholics, you know, put the plug in the drug, and other people say, well, alcoholics still have to drink. Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, I have to put the plug in the drug, and I still have to eat. But I don't have to eat like that. Okay, there's another way to eat. And that's what you guys have helped me find. So what is, sober, what, what is the definition of sober eating? For me, the definition of sober eating is that I, uh, A, I cannot trust myself to determine what my food should be. We've already talked, we are, I had 45, 50 years of trying to do that. It didn't work. And we all, we've established that I will lie to myself at the first possible moment. Okay, so I can't trust myself in food decisions. I can't negotiate with food because it activates my disease. And the voices come up again. So I've got to put down the negotiation. I've got to find somebody that I can talk to specifically about the food and create a food plan. And create those parameters and stay within those parameters no matter what. Life can be over here, up and down, up and down, up and down. My food has to be in that same band. It must be exactly what I've committed. If I want to make a change to what I've committed, and I don't commit my food, you know, like you know, beforehand, I do get to choose do I want chicken, fish, or beef on that salad. But, you know, uh, I, but I commit exactly what are the nature of my food to somebody else, and it's a, sort of a long-standing thing. If I want to make a change to that, I don't make that change without talking to somebody else first. 
A few weeks ago, I, was, I had a meeting at my kid's school, and I'm rushing across town to get there. It's at 6 o'clock, and I thought I could leave my office at 5 and have time to stop and grab something for dinner. And I was running late and couldn't do it. So I said, oh, I got an idea. I'll take my, my fruit sack from the n- nighttime and eat it now so I won't be hungry. God forbid I should be hungry. But that activates my disease, so I try not to get really hungry. But it takes 26 days for someone to starve. I could probably last 2.6 hours, but yeah. But I said, oh, what a good idea. So I pick up the phone. I call my sponsor. No, he's not there. He can't tell me it's okay. I called 10 people from my sober eating group to ask them if they thought it was okay. I couldn't get anyone. You know what I did? I went to the meeting and didn't eat the banana. And I was hungry. You can see I've lived, so it's okay. Uh, so so that's, that is about sober eating. I have to tie it. Uh, to somebody else because I need to be taught how to eat. I need to be taught how to live. My parents were lovely people, but in terms of skills around food, I might as well have been raised by wolves. They did not have the skills to give me, to teach me how to do it. My mother was a compulsive eater. My father, uh, Bill, would probably have described as a heavy eater. And I needed to be taught the life lessons and the food lessons. The food lessons so that I would understand how to eat, what to eat, when to eat, why to eat. And my, you know, sober eating, one plate, no seconds. No, no adding food on, no eating things off of other people's plates. To me, that's like, what? That, how do you live not eating off of other people's plates? I never understood that that wasn't something you're supposed to do. And then I need the life lessons. Because the idea of clearing up the wreckage of your past isn't just to fuck up your life again by doing the same behaviors. The idea of clearing up the wreckage of your past is so that you can live well, honestly, with integrity. So that you can look people in the eye and tell the truth and know, let them know that you're telling the truth. That, so that they can rely on you. In the doctor's opinion, Silkworth says, you can rely on anything these men tell you. And that's not where they came in. That's where they were when, when he wrote the doctor's opinion. And that's not where I was when I came in, but I'd like to think that's where I am now. And the reason that I have to have these life lessons is so that, which is you know, the moral psychology of the 12 steps, is so that I don't do something that will activate my disease and make me want to eat and make me struggle and then have to tell a lie on top of a lie and have to struggle on top of a struggle. Because I am literally this far, and if you're listening at home, I'm extending my arm, I am this far away from my next relapse. Okay? Uh, This far. When I say my next relapse, I've been blessed with five and a half years, but every time I broke a diet, that's a relapse. When I left after a year of having fun in OA, that was a relapse. I have lots of relapses in my life, and I'm literally an arm's length away from it. If I don't do what you guys have taught me to do, which is to work the 12 steps and 12 traditions to the best of my knowledge, to be honest, to live with integrity, to do service. That's what you've taught me. That's what allows me to be alive today. Because when I walked in here, I was a heart attack waiting to happen. And the only reason I made that joke... You didn't, obviously didn't find it too funny, but the only reason I didn't, I didn't, I would make that joke was because, uh, as Jack Nicholson would say, I couldn't handle the truth, and the truth was I was a fat, oozing mess, medically screwed, morally screwed, financially bankrupt. When I came into, just before I came into the program, I had a business reversal. When I started, I had money in the bank and no debt. When I walked in the program, I was two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt with no money in the bank, maybe more. Today, I want to tell you that uh, uh, I have paid back everything from that debt. 
I now have more money in the bank than when I started and I have no debt. Now that's just about finances, so it really doesn't matter. But what it reflects is that I have come back from that depth because you guys have taught me how to live, how to eat, and how to be. And I am forever grateful for that. Thank you very much for letting me share. Thank you, Jack. This is a time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that my, these are my opinions. Opinions, opinions, not facts. Uh, and not those of OA, and the opinions aren't even as, uh, of OA as a whole. So when asking questions, you need not identify yourself, but remember, if you ask a question, your voice, if John forgets to edit, your voice may be audible on the podcast, so, uh, and nobody will disguise your voice. Uh, so are there any questions, or can we all go home early? Nikki. Um, thank you so much. Um, we'll cross <laughs> uh, My question is, uh, I feel like a big part of working a program for me is coming to it if I can. But you know, the strategy care also says there's things I can change. And those things that are difficult to change, not food, lifestyle. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that have been hard for you to change and how you've managed to do so? Beyond big lifestyle things, not just care for defects and lunch. Sure. Uh, well, lunch is a big lifestyle thing, but yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, let me repeat the question for the thing and see if I got it right. So, uh, if you look at the serenity prayer, there are things we can't change, but things we can. How do I deal with, what, what kind of things do I look at to change and how has my journey been in that change? Uh, it's, it's, it's been slow, in all honesty. You know, five and a half years. It, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the inventory, uh, fourth and fifth step really showed me what, I, what needed to be changed because I had 168 resentments. I believe my sponsor told me I set his record for resentments. Um, and and you know, one of the things that I did as an addict is blame. Blame was big. I love to blame people because God forbid something should be my fault. Then I have to take responsibility for it. So stopping blaming people was probably the first thing that, that I changed, that I could change, that really affected how I lived. I stopped blaming people and started taking personal responsibility. If I had an argument with somebody, it wasn't always their fault. You know, I did things that, you know, so just recognizing that I could be an asshole. And I can be an asshole, by the way. You know, I, I, I run TV shows for a living, bad TV shows, but TV shows nonetheless. <laughs> and, 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 and my job is called showrunner. And I walk around and I'm like, you know, snapping fingers and pointing and clapping hands. And, you know, because I have 50 people sometimes I have to keep on the beam. You know, uh, and, and when you, you know, when you do that for a living, you begin to feel like you're, you're right all the time. Because I am at work, you know, my I'm the last. I may be wrong, but but my wrong is right. Uh, and, and and having to take that into life and say that's not the way it is in the world. I'm not right. I'm I'm fallible. You know, I have I don't I have I'm a slow burn temper. But once you piss me off, it's not pretty. And I've got to learn that when people piss me off and I yell at them, it's not their fault that I'm an asshole. You know, I've got to take responsibility for the things I do, both, you know, in arguments, in relationships, in, in, in work, you know, in, in, in my, you know, my relationship with my kids, everything. I, I can make mistakes now and admit to making mistakes and apologize for them and move on. So to me, that's the biggest thing that's changed. That's the biggest one thing that, 
that is the, the, the courage to change the things I can was the courage to stop blaming everybody for everything that went wrong in my life and say I've made mistakes and those mistakes of the past even before I got the program impact my present and the mistakes I've made in program impact my present and the mistakes I make in my present impact my future and I need to learn that and, and live by understanding that that's you know that that's the truth and that when I make a mistake I try and unwind it and I apologize for it yes sir you ever had any um, particularly um, gnawing and persistent resentments and if so how do you um, yeah, do I have, a, have I ever had any particularly gnawing and persistent resentments uh, I went to a memorial service the other day. I, I, I had, I guess I still should be standing. I had a resentment against the guy who I worked with who lied to me. That was his, not my fault that he lied to me. I went on reliance that he was telling the truth. When I found out he was lying to me, I gleefully and purposely, you know, damaged his reputation and screwed him out of a job. Okay, so he did, he, he start, you know, he had a partner, I had a part in it. He won't take, he wouldn't take my phone calls when I tried to make the amends. I tried, my sponsor said try three times, I tried four. Because I, and he wouldn't take my phone. I saw him about ten days ago. And I don't carry that resentment around typically, but it popped up like a jack in a box, man. I mean, I saw that guy in like Lucy and slowly I turned Niagara Falls. I was, you know, and, and I was going to walk over to him and he didn't recognize me because last time he saw me I weighed 335 pounds. Uh, rarely happens anymore that people don't recognize me because it's been really three or three and a half years since I've lost the majority of my weight. But he didn't recognize me. And I was about to walk up to him and say, so and so, I'm Jeff and Bo-. And I said, no, that's my resentment talking. I don't need to do that. So that's the resentment. But when I feel those resentments popping up, I say, God, please help this guy. I hope that he gets everything he wants. And I hope he gets everything that I want. Now, I say that prayer through gritted teeth sometimes. I was conned out of $300,000 before I came into the program. That's why I was so morally, physically, and spiritually bankrupt. And I prayed for those guys every day. Every day for three months. And the first day was, God, please, those prick bastards, I want them to be... And then then it, it slowly started to soften. And then by the time I was done, I could say it sincerely. So I just keep saying that prayer for those people and I thought what bullshit that's never going to work but you know what it works it's, it's that simple it's that simple it really does work Carol um, I work the program on financial insecurity in my line of work it's a hard thing because I you know I work show to show I'm a freelance guy and you know I'm also uh, in my 50s and uh, those, that's not prime time for getting you know good work you know the uh, uh uh, I, you know, I work for God, is how I handle it. I work for God. God has taken care of me spectacularly. Now, I'm not wealthy, but I've been taken care of spectacularly, as far as I'm concerned, by God for, the, you know, for my years. Why is it going to stop now? Why, why is God going to drop me on my head? Now, I may not have what I want. I may not, you know, be able to drive. The, I'm not much of a gearhead, so I don't care about cars, but... I'd love to be driving a new Tesla. You know, I can't afford it, so I don't. You know, I live in reality. Uh, I live in reality. I spend in reality. I don't spend what I don't have. That's new, by the way. 
Uh, and uh, all of that is new. Living in reality, not spending what I don't have, all very new, you know, last few years. Uh, and I pray that you, to God to take away the financial insecurity and know that I'll be taken care of. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, it sounds really nice and theoretical and kind of pie in the sky, the kind of thing I would have mocked somebody for six years ago. But, again, it works. You know, it's amazing. The things that I thought I would never do, like weighing and measuring my food, like praying to God. And by the way, when I pray to God, I should add this. When I pray to God, uh, I try to do what the big book says, which is praying only for knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. I don't ask for things. God is not a Santa Claus. It's not a Christmas list. Uh, I will ask... Uh, the only thing that I ask is, uh, I say a prayer that says, God, please, just for today, allow me not to binge eat or eat for my own sensual pleasure. Instead, allow me to use food as fuel to nourish my body and sustain my soul so I may be of service to one other person. I think I get a pass because I ask to be of service to somebody at the end of it. But uh, aside from that, I don't ask for anything for myself. I will ask that other people be relieved of sadness, grief, their disease, things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I pray. I say, God, take the insecurity away from me, please. I know you'll take care of me. And that's the end of it. Uh, and it works. Yes. Uh, I have two kids, by the way, a son and a daughter. Uh, and how do, does she comprehend program and do I keep sweets in the house? Unf Sadly, and uh, if she ever listens to this, I'll apologize to her now. She's one of us. Uh, at least that seems to be that she's one of us. Uh, but uh, I have come to the point of saying I'm loving her unconditionally no matter what, telling her she's beautiful no matter what, letting her eat what she wants to eat now because I don't want her walking around the rest of her life with the negative charge around food that I have from being having things literally snatched out of my hands as a child. I will not do that to her. There are sweets in the house, but there's somebody else's. Uh, you know, it's not my food. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I've been blessed by what you guys have taught me to get into that position of neutrality. And so there's sweets in the house and she eats sweets and she eats poorly sometimes and I look at it and poorly is a judgment of course but uh, I look at it and it breaks my heart and I just say God please help her when it's time. But she's too young. She's 15. She's not ready for this. So when she's ready if she, you know, when she wants if she wants I'll, I'll bring her here. And if she doesn't she'll find her path. And that is uh, a different program. Uh, but uh, <laughs> one that I'm not very good at with any of my family members. But, uh, but I'm, a I'm a work in progress. And while I'm on progress, progress, not perfection, my big bugaboo in this program, that doesn't mean I can eat three cookies and say I'm abstinent. Progress, not perfection, isn't about my food. It's about my spiritual development. It's about, you know, my, you know, about how I interact with, my, you know, with the people in my life, my daughter included. So that relationship is a work in progress. My abstinence is not progress, not perfection. It's either is or it isn't. It's binary. Yes or no. I'm walking towards recovery. I'm walking away from recovery. No, yeah, so there, there's a difference in that. I just want to throw that in. Don? Um, you talked about the voices in your head screaming, e, e, e. Yes. Um, do you still get them, uh, and how do you deal with them? Do I get the voices in my head screaming, eat, eat, eat? Uh, they, they, they don't scream. They talk now. Uh, they're less loud. They're less prevalent. Uh, as I said, I'm mostly in a place of neutrality every once in a while. Uh, you know, I, don't, I heard someone in these rooms say they love food. Yeah, I don't think I love food. I think I hated food because food did to me more than it did for me. Uh, and uh, but there are still foods that I miss. I don't miss, believe it or not, candy cake, cookies, ice cream. I really don't. I miss French fries. 
So when I go to a, a, a restaurant that has particularly good French fries, or the ones that I particularly like, and I see people going, oh my God, this is so good. I, yeah, it triggers it. And, and, I say, and I say, you know, and I, I, I'll get up. I'll put a mint in my mouth. I'll walk so I don't have, you know, because if I put a mint in my mouth, I've got to take the mint out of my mouth and put it the French fry in, and I'm not going to do that now. I mean, I've, yeah, I've got enough space that I, I'll, I'll be able to figure out in that time something else to do. But I'll get up, I'll make a phone call, I'll get up and go to the bathroom and say a prayer, I'll get up and say, and, you know, be pissed off. But I won't, you know, so I hear them, and then I take the actions necessary to quiet them. Most of the time they quiet. If they don't quiet, then I go into emergency mode, which is calling everybody I know. Several of you have received those calls. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, praying, leaving the restaurant, pretending, I even once, and I hate to lie, but I pretended to not feel well. Oh, I'm really not feeling well, i got to go, because if I didn't leave, I wouldn't have felt well, because I would have dove into this mountain of french fries sitting at the table, and I really would have. So, so I hear him, but not as bad. Yes, sir, in the back. From Leafy greeny. What, 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 what comes after cheesy meaty is leafy greeny. Um, and by the way, I don't always make the leafy greeny choice. You know, as, as the Don said earlier when he shared about his absence, he makes the right choice 88% of the time. Uh, yeah, I'm probably around there with, with my food choices. Uh, but they're all within the parameters. Uh, I eat eight ounces of protein at lunch and dinner. Um, and, and vegetables. Protein and produce is uh, one of my sponsors likes to say. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's and I occasionally have bread if it's attached to a, a, a to protein because my lifestyle, my work, sometimes I don't have time to sit down and eat a salad. But it's either protein on a plate uh, or in a salad and vegetables. And sometimes it's less vegetables and, and you know, cheesy, meaty, uh, bready, you know, gooey, you know, okay, still get, get that occasionally. But I, don't, I try not to eat for my sensual pleasure, which is the prayer I say every day, or most every day, because it's progress, not perfection, right? Hi. Roberta? Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about... Yeah, I, I have, uh, I'll talk about, yeah, I do. Uh, I have, in the morning, uh, I say the third step prayer, the serenity prayer, a shortened version of On Awakening, which someone once gave me, and the prayer I talked about about the food. Uh, and then the, uh, I do work every day, you know, uh, and uh, in that work is a 10-step uh, uh, that I sent to my sponsor. Uh, I do a paragraph of it right now. It's out of the big book. Uh, I write on it. Then I write what, uh, three things that are going right, three, thing, three things about my plan, what's my plan for the next day, and always in that plan I try to figure out where I'm going to be of service. And then, um, uh, what's keeping me from peace? And then I report my food. And then at night before I go to bed, it's the third step prayer, the serenity prayer, and a, what I call a RAD, A-E-I-O-U. R-A-D-A-E-I-O-U. Resentments, um, amends, and defects that have come up. What resentments do I have? And then I try and pray them away, sometimes through gritted teeth. Uh, and then I say, what amends do I need to make? And what defects have popped up? And then what I've, uh, A, abstinence, what have I eaten today? Um, which, of course, I just wrote uh, to my sponsor, so he, you know, it's pretty easy. Have I exercised? Which is usually no, which is the next thing I'm going to look at is, you know, really stepping up my exercise plan. Uh, and then uh, what I've done for myself, what I've done for others, and what I've uncovered. And after five and a half years, I will admit I don't uncover something new every day. So sometimes I get a pass on that, or sometimes I'm asleep by then. In all honesty, so. But that's what I do on a daily basis. Mr. Blanc. Um, 
I, I missed the beginning. On tape. How has, uh, <laughs> how has uh, uh, You know, I, I'm going to pass on that question. Uh, it's a, it's, uh, it's more than I have time for, and something I'd rather not have in uh, in the blogosphere. Uh, but if you want to talk about it afterwards, I'd be happy to do that. I'm not trying to be mysterious. It's just not that great. Yeah, uh, well, have I had to make amends for harms I did while absence? Yes, but not nearly at the level that I had to before. I've done things, uh, you know, I, I make amends to people all the time. I yelled at somebody at work a, a few weeks ago uh, because I was tense about something else. Uh, and he did something that was, you know, well, fairly stupid. Uh, but, you know, it's okay. We all make mistakes. I ripped into him in front of the other people who he, uh, uh, you know, is, uh, is a supervisor of. And uh, I did, I, I, I did the, the thing in front of the people, and then I made the amends in front of the people. Because an amend, a private amends, when, when I, if I humiliate someone or, or, or insult someone in front of ten people, I can't apologize alone. That's to be a cheat. You know, I mean, I can, but I should make the other people aware that, I, that it was my problem, not his. And so I went back into that same room. It was the writer's room of my show. And I said, you know, I was really out of line yesterday. You didn't do anything wrong. I was tense about something else and I jumped on you and I really apologize for that. You're doing a great job and I apologize for making it seem like I thought you weren't. And uh, everybody kind of looked at me like, nobody does that in this business. <laughs> Somebody does. Sir. How does um, the type of service you do... How is that? The type of service that I do changed over the, uh, over the time I've been in a program. Uh, the truth of the matter is that it probably hasn't changed uh, uh, much because uh, I want to form a new 12-step program. It's called Over Volunteers Anonymous, uh, and I will be the president. Uh, and uh, the because uh, you know one of the ways I managed how people thought of me when I was fat, oozing mess, spilling into a room was that I always did things. I was involved with a lot of charities, a lot of uh, you know uh, causes. Uh, and because I have the skills as a TV producer, I know how to organize things. And so, uh, and so I would use those skills for the greater good. So when people noticed me, they wouldn't say, oh, there's that fat jerk. They'd say, oh, that guy really helped us out on the blah, blah, blah. Or he raises hundreds of thousands of dollars for the school or whatever it is. So when I got into OA, it was a natural thing. I was chairing the birthday party uh, one year into abstinence. Why did you let me do that, by the way? Uh, and... Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, so, I, yeah, it, so uh, it hasn't changed. It's, it's, it's still uh, uh, probably, uh, I need to look at that because I still keep doing that. I still volunteer at the kids' school. I still volunteer at the credit union. I still, you know, secretary here and literature there and treasurer there. And I worked programming the birthday party this year. And someone asked me to chair another event in the Valley. And I said, no, I can't do that. Because it's just, you know, I need to, you know, have time for work, my family, and my, my recovery. And so if I'm always booked out. So for me, if it's going to change, it's going to ebb a little bit. Not that I won't do it, but maybe I won't take on these, uh, you know, grandiose positions and let other people do that because it's kind of time for me to sit in the back, not in the front. Is that it? Time? Okay. Okay. <laughs>